Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, yeah, so, so Pastor Robert Morris, he's, he's a pastor in Texas. Uh, love the man. His ministry has blessed me uh, immensely. And uh, we are going to be jumping into a series. We're going to be looking at a lot of his resources. And I'm going to get a little bit into that uh, in a second here. But uh, I haven't been here for a week. It's been a while. Uh, I feel like I, I came into my office and I dusted the cobwebs off. Uh, it, was, it was like, uh, it's been over six months since my family has ever has had a chance to get together. And uh, uh, we originally, or we brought in a little girl. Many of you know our story. We, we are fostering to adopt. It's like renting to own. It's pretty cool. Uh, we're fostering to adopt this baby little girl, and uh, she's been in our church for almost her, ent- her entire life, uh, but, but she came into our lives specifically um, about six months ago, right? Like, like specifically into our home, and the Lord has been speaking to us. I mean, many of you know the story through the last year's Daniel Fast to, to go through this process, and we started fostering. We took the classes, just incredible things. So uh, we haven't had a chance to really just like bond with her, right? Like just to t- take a take a week and just spend time with her and uh, nothing on the calendar, nothing on the agenda, no meetings, no, you know, not, not even preaching on the weekend, just, just focusing on this little girl and our family. And it was, it was incredible. Um, I am in a crazy stage of life. I've got three kids, three and under in my house. And uh, it, it's nuts. It's nuts. There are some days where we're like, we're just going to put all of you up for adoption, right? Like, like we just, we just can't, we just can't, we can't handle this. And uh, uh, they're, they're great kids. So be, before the, the week started, I said, one of two things are going to happen. Either Either we are going to put you all up for adoption or, uh, man, God is just going to draw us closer together. And it's not like we, we aren't close enough. I feel like there, there is this beautiful sense of unity amongst all of our children. Like God has done just great things. But we're like, Lord, we, we want more. We just want to be closer and closer and closer. And uh, so, so we, we spent a week together and, I, and I, I've realized something. Um, I live with three kleptomaniacs. Um, things disappear. Just, just always disappear and reappear in places you never thought they'd be there. Uh, there is not, there's, there hasn't been a day in the last like uh, three years where uh, I, I go to put my shoes on and, and, and there's like blocks and toys in there. Um, so now I just like literally before I put my shoes on, I just empty them out and things fall out. Like I don't know who it is in my family that is stealing things and placing them in my shoes, but they're always there. Uh, just the other night I woke up uh, and I got stabbed in the back with a stegosaurus you don't know pain until you've been stabbed in the back by a stegosaurus. You know what, what dinosaur that is? It's the one with the spiky like things on his back. Like literally stabbed me. I was like, oh, what, what is this? So it was about four in the morning. And I'm like, Katie, is this yours? Like what, what is this? And then a little hand comes out from underneath the sheets. That's mine. It was August. He just like grabs his dinosaur back, right? And um, we, we do have kleptomaniacs. I'm still looking for my Apple Watch. I'm just praying that thing shows up. Um, it, it was removed from my dock and in our room, and, and I haven't seen it. And this isn't the first time that's happened. You think I'd learn after the second time that that's happened to, to move my, my, my Apple Watch somewhere else, but that's, that's still missing. So, uh, but you know what? At the end of the week, we, we came to the realization, and I pray this is the realization we all come into, regardless of the stage of life that we're in. At the end of the week, I was like this, Lord, I am blessed. I'm blessed. Can we just, can we just all say that for a moment? I am blessed. It's something we don't say enough, right? It's something that, it's so easy, isn't it, for, for complaints to just spew out of your mouth, for, for frustration to just linger in your head, but, but to just pause and take a moment to reflect and just recall and remember the, the faithfulness of God. 
this idea of, of being blessed. So we're, we're jumping into a series called The Blessed Life. I don't know about you, but when, when I research uh, what it means to be blessed, when I, when I look on Instagram and I, and I check out the hashtags, hashtag blessed prayer hands. You ever, you ever see that one? So, so don't look up hashtag blessed with, with no prayer hands because you know you're really blessed when you add the prayer hands emoji at the end of that hashtag. So I, I looked it up and, and I saw a few things. Uh, maybe when, when you close your eyes and you say the words, I am blessed, may, maybe you think about uh, what, what this gentleman thought about. He, he thought about eating a, a uh, smoked meat sandwich. Pulled pork, oh, yes. If anybody eats that for lunch, I will love, man, if you brought me that for lunch someday, you'd be my best friend forever. Um, I will be waiting, all right? Uh, but yeah, maybe you think of, of, of something else. Like maybe for you, if, if when you say you're blessed, you, you close your eyes and you think about maybe signing uh, the, the, the contract on, on a new home, right? Buying a house, right? That, that's a couple, they, they said, we just bought a new house, hashtag blessed prayer hands, right? Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's when, when you get your family together, when, when everybody's together in, in one roof, under, under the same roof, you, your thoughts are like, like this family right here, they're, they're blessed. Hashtag blessed. Or perhaps it's, it's when you bought that new car. This is another Instagram post. Just random people. Uh, just, I mean, that thing's beautiful. What is that, an Audi? Yeah, man. Clay Wong, I want to be your friend. Um, <laughs> when you think of, of being blessed, is it oftentimes the, the things come into your mind, uh, material things? Is it, is, it, is it the new house? Is it is it the new car? Is it, uh, just, is it the family? Is it a new baby being born? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong in and of those things, but, but my heart and my prayer is that I will, I will be more focused not just on the blessings, but on the source of them all. That if those things are, are ripped from my hands or removed from, from my life, if my, if my car gets repossessed, if we get kicked out of our house, if, if God forbid anything would have happened to, to any of our family members, would we still consider ourselves blessed? Or is our idea and understanding of blessing attached to the things that we hold? I believe God's desire for us through this series, this blessed life series. Yes, we're gonna be talking about finances and money and the ways that we think and view our resources and our affluence, but, but I believe above all, the Lord wants to bless us. And he wants us to come to the understanding, the realization that our blessing is in him. He is our blesser. He is what makes us blessed. We see in a great example, one of the greatest examples in Job chapter one, verse 21. Do you guys remember who Job was? Job was a man who loved the Lord. He, he, he was a man after God's own heart. The Lord had blessed him with many material things. I mean, uh, back then they, they considered wealth with, with uh, agriculture and, and cattle. The more cattle you had, the, the wealthier you were. And he had thousands upon thousands of cattle. Job had a beautiful family and great kids and, uh, man, a, a great pension plan. I mean, this guy was blessed, right? He drove an Audi. He was, he was a very blessed individual. And then one day, Satan comes to the Lord and says, you know what, God? The only reason why Job honors you and, 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 and lifts up your name, the only reason why he's faithful is because you've, you've blessed him. But the moment you remove your hand of, off of him, the moment you stop blessing him, he will curse you. And the Lord knew Job, and he knew his heart, and he said, you know what, Satan, I, I will do that. You, you can't have his life, but I will remove my hand momentarily to prove to you that Job is a man after God's own heart. And that's what happened. The Lord removed his hand. Satan started to attack him. Everything was falling by the wayside. 
You ever remember that, that movie, Dumb and Dumber, when, when Harry tells Lloyd, our pets has are falling off? Like, that's exactly what was happening to, to Job. Job, everything was falling apart. And, and, and Job, instead of turning his head and throwing his fists at heaven, he, he does this. Look, look what he does here in Job chapter 1, verse 21, 20 to 22. He says this. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. That doesn't seem to be the response that should come after all of that. It makes sense to rise up, to tear your robes, to shave your head, to even, that was a sign of, of repentance, to even throw dust on yourself, to fall on the ground. And maybe cursing God would have made more sense. But instead, Job worships. I don't know about you, but I want to get to that place. That when I lose something, anything significant, a relationship, a friendship, a, a material thing, that, that worship would be the response. And look what happens, the next verse. Why did he worship? Look what he says. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. He said, I came into this world with nothing, even if I leave with nothing, it doesn't matter. He says, either way, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And what does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's essentially saying this. If you take all of the material things I had, if you take all of the relationships I had, and if you combine them together, they still fall short when it comes to the value and worth of knowing my God. He understood something that we don't understand in this culture, that the Lord, the source of our blessings, is worthy to be blessed. Listen, the way we respond after losing blessings displays whether or not we know the source of them all. How you and I respond the moment we lose a blessing is oftentimes the indicator of whether or not we know him. He is the source. And Job, in this moment, was like, God, naked I came into this world, naked I'll return it. If I had nothing, as long as I know you, blessed be the name of the Lord. He wasn't accusing God. The verse even says there that in all of this, Job did not sin in charging God with wrong. He knew that the Lord wouldn't allow this to happen. He knew that harm would not be fallen for no reason. He trusted the Lord. And if you read this story in its entirety, you see how the Lord redeems the entire situation. It's a beautiful story of how the Lord did test, but he, he was there the entire step of the way. And if anything, at the end of it, he came out not just wealthier, but with a greater knowledge and understanding of the character of God. It's a beautiful story. Uh, don't just stop there. So if my prayer is that through this next series, we'd come to know the Lord as the source of our blessings. We, we are gonna do something that I have never, ever done in my entire time in ministry, almost 10 years. I've never done this. Uh, many of you know that one of my favorite passions is preaching. I love jumping into the word and I love spending time studying and preparing and it's, 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 my, it's my greatest passion. I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I've never preached a sermon twice. I've, I've never like literally pulled something out of the vault and just unlocked it with the code and just like preached it again. We are gonna be doing something for the next next couple of weeks, um, it's, we're going to be showing Robert Morris's, we're going to join, be joining a bunch of other churches and showing Pastor Robert's uh, messages on the topic of finances. Um, 
Pastor Robert Morris, if you don't know him, I truly believe this. He is the most anointed speaker on the topic of finances today. Um, the Lord, he's gonna share a little bit next week, but uh, he is, like, the God has been speaking to him tremendously. I believe he is the foremost speaker on this topic of how we think about, in the church, the topic of finances. So, man, I encourage you, come out. To the, these aren't throwaway weekends where, you know, I'm not preaching. I promise you, you will be blessed, okay? You will be blessed if you come out to this. And, and you know what? If there is somebody who has any misconceptions about finances or things like that, bring them with. This is going to be an incredible series you will not want to miss out on. So today, I want to just lay a primer before we jump into next week. Uh, I want to talk about just some misconceptions, some, some myths that we may have about money. When we think about money in the church, what, what do you think about? I, I remember when I first got saved, there were some misconceptions that I had. Um, and I, want to, I just want to share four of them with you all. The first one is this, ready? Uh, the four money, money misconceptions. The first one is this. Maybe you have said what I have said at one point. I used to say this, money isn't spiritual, right? There's, there's nothing spiritual about money. There, there's more spiritual things that we can be talking about. Let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about the sovereignty of God. Let's talk about the character, the attributes of God. Uh, let's not talk about money. Money is just, it's just, it's, it's no thing. It's not spiritual. Let's not talk about this, right? It was literally an argument that I would use. It'd be like, money's just so, let's just not talk about money, right? Like, I, I, would, always, I would always make that argument, but, but the reality is this. Money is spiritual, Right? Uh, in my pocket, I have a dollar bill, and uh, I noticed something that the dollar bill says, in God we trust, right? It's spiritual, okay? Money is spiritual. It was a joke, right? It's not, it's not. Uh, there, there may not be anything in and of itself that makes money spiritual, but, but money really is a spiritual thing. How, how do I know this? Because when I survey the, the word of God, you know what I, I see? That the Bible has over 2,000 references, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, talking about the topic of money, how we think about it, how we use it, right? Resources, affluence, wealth, these are all things that are talked about in the Bible. In fact, even if you were someone who said, I only want to read the words of Jesus, well, Jesus talks an awful lot about money. Out of 39 parables that Jesus preaches, over 17 of them have to deal with the issue of money. Jesus talks a lot about money. In fact, if you were to, to, to just take some, some big topics like, like peace and uh, the, the kingdom of God and, and heaven and hell and, and even Satan, um, all of those passages, he talks more about money. He talks about money quite a bit. The Bible talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. I love what Greg Laurie says. He, he's a pastor and author. He says this, it is worth noting that money is such an important topic in the Bible that it is the main subject of nearly half of the parables Jesus told. In addition, one in every seven verses, listen to this, one in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with this topic. The Bible offers over 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money. In fact, 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. Jesus talks a lot about money. He's very clear. One of the passages I just want to read right now is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And he says this. He's drawing two parallels. And I want, to, I want to read the passage, and then I just want to pause for him. When he says this, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Pause there for a second. He is saying this. There is nothing that should take an equal role than the position that God has in your life. And then he gets very applicable. He says, what is, what is the one thing in our life that is most likely to take that role? What, what, is, what is the one thing that we are most likely to turn into an idol? And he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. The Lord is drawing a, a conclusion here. He's saying this, humanity has the most likely possibility to turn finances, the way they think about money, into an idol. You know what happens when that, when, when, when that takes the place? The moment we start loving money, we immediately replace it with our love for God. You cannot love both God and money. Because when you allow money to be the source that you love and the source that, that is the one that leads you, it leads every direction you make, what car you drive and what house you purchase and, and where you move and, and, and what, what degree you, you take on. Instead of going to the Lord and saying, God, where do you want me to work? God, what, what, what house do you want me to live in? Lord, what, what car do you want me to drive? We allow money to be the thing that dictates that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with finances or anything wrong with money. Money in and of itself is not evil. The Lord says that the love of money is evil, is the root of all evil. But here, he's drawing this realization that we are most likely to prop money up in the position of where God should sit alone. So money is spiritual. Or I should say this, money may not be spiritual in and of itself, but how we handle it certainly is. The Lord is concerned with how we think about money. The second misconception is this. I used to say this all of the time. I grew up disenfranchised with the church. I used to say all the church cares about is getting my money. And, and there was a reason why I used to say that. I, I grew up in, in, in the Catholic church, and nothing against the Catholic church, but I grew up in the Catholic church, and I grew up in a period where we saw, uh, man, uh, a bunch of abuse like never before. I mean, it was just crazy to see all the things that were coming up. And, and I was just a young student, and I was in high school, and I was struggling with the notion of seeing the Pope all wearing gold and dressed up. And I'm like, there's people starving, and I was, I, was, I was just sick and tired of it. So I used to say, all the church cares about is, is getting my money. Let, let me just say this. Um, um, are there some people that concern themselves with getting more and more money in the church? Yes. If you watch public television late at night, you're probably going to see a televangelist on there saying, I'll give you this prayer, Hank. You just sow some seed into my ministry, and uh, then you go back and you report that he has three private planes, right? Like, like, are there charlatans in the church? Yes, there have been since the early church. Uh, even Paul calls them out. There have been people who have tried to leverage that um, and, and, and take advantage of others. There are those examples, but I believe that if we use this argument that all the church cares about is getting my money, we are allowing the, the minor few speak for the masses, Right? We see in the news all the instances of, of financial abuse in the church, but we never see the, the news report, hey, this church again for its 50th year has done a great job of handling its resources, right? Now, I, I even hesitated with even bringing this up because I don't want it to sound like we're just patting our, ourselves on the back, but I can honestly stand up here before God and, and say to us that our church takes serious the responsibility of ensuring that our, our financially we are fit and healthy. Um, for example, um, nobody, 
like, no, I don't count the money. I, I don't go like, after everybody tithes. I'm not in the room. I, I, I never even see it. I never make the deposit. That's something that I just feel like as the pastor is something that should be some, for somebody else. We have an elder board, an elder board of 16 individuals that meets monthly and we look at the accounts and we, we scrutinize everything. And, uh, and not, actually, there's a, a man in this church by the name of Ron Polinsky. Ron, if you just want to wave your hand, you probably weren't expecting this. Ron back there, he's, he's, he's an, he was an accountant. He's retired and he is the probably the most financially fit or one of the most financially fit people in this church. We have not one but two accountants slash CPA individuals on our elder board where they are, they scrutinize everything. And, and Ron has taught me about more about a depreciation than anything I'd ever want to know, right? Like he is just incredible resource in this church and uh, we just have checks and balances. Um, so I, this is a, a very healthy place. The reason why I bring that up is because I know that there are some of us who say, ah, I, don't, I just don't want to give, I, I, I don't trust. Man, we are an open book. Every single year at our annual business meeting, we publish the finances. You can look through it and see where everything goes, every diamond dollar. I'm even proud to say that every single dollar, every dime on the dollar that comes in goes right back out straight to missions. 10% of our budget is allocated just for world missions, right? It, it's, uh, that's not even including the, the money that we spend on ministry, the money that we spend on benevolence. Like there is, It's just right out the window. We take serious how we handle money. Everybody on our staff tithes. Everybody. It's something that I check regularly. Every leader in our church tithes. It's something that I check regularly. Um, we tithe. I tithe. My family, we tithe. We believe in the blessing that comes with how we handle money. Amen. And you know what? I, I've always heard people say, uh, you know, pastors, all they care about is money. Listen, if all I cared about, can I, just, can I just drop a truth bomb? Can I just be honest with you guys? If all I cared about was money, I wouldn't be a pastor, Okay. <laughs> Um, like, I, I'm not this leprechaun that's like, oh, my pot of gold, right? Like, like there is no pot of gold in ministry, right? Um, my, my kids are sharing diapers. I'm just kidding. That's, that's bad. It's like, oh, August, you didn't go through that here, Desi. You just wear this. No, no. But I mean, let's just, let's just, get, let's just air it out and, and get rid of this mis- misconception. The church does not just care about getting your money. What does the church care about? The church cares about getting your heart, about sending it to Jesus, that there is a direct lifeline between your wallet and your heart. Jesus teaches us this. He says in chap- Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the conclusion, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does Jesus talk so much about money? Because he's convinced of this. Where you put your money, that's where your heart goes. It, it, it leads your heart. So it, if, if your money is, is being used and leveraged to just bring you joy, to bring you happiness, to, to allow you to keep up with the Joneses, guess what? That's where your treasure is as well. That's where your heart is going. But if your money and, and wealth, if you are giving it to the Lord, if you are allowing him to be the manager of it all and saying, Lord, it's all yours anyway, you know what happens? Your heart is there. Your heart is there. You know, the, the third misconception is this. I'll start giving when I make enough. I used to say that all the time. I was a college student. I was a Christian for some time. 
I used to say, I'll start giving when I make enough. Like, like obviously, God doesn't want me to tithe. I, I only make a couple thousand. Like, the, 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 there's no reason he would ask me to do this, right? He, he, want, he wants me to wait till I'm making at least like 30,000 a year. I'm not nowhere near that. I'll start tithing when I make enough. Let me, let me just ask a question, if that has ever been your, your argument. Let me, ask, let me ask you this. Who decides how much is enough? Do you decide or... Is that something that you're allowing the Lord to decide? Who decides how much is enough? You know, teenagers and college students, those who are probably on lower income, I, I, I want to just be honest with you. If you start tithing now, you will start tithing in the future. But if you don't start tithing now, the chances of you being a tither when you make enough probably will never happen. Why? Because there is a principle in the word of God a principle of faithfulness, that if we are faithful with a little, we will be faithful with much. There's a story that we recall in Luke's Luke's gospel, in Luke 21, verses one through four, there's this instance of Jesus sitting at the temple, and he's about to teach in the temple, but he's just sitting back, and and he's praying over the people, and he's noticing them come back and forth from the temple, and they're stopping at the treasury, which was right outside the east gate, and they would, they would drop their, their tithes, their offerings in there, and it was often utilized to, for the upkeep of the, the temple. It was used for you know, the, the priests and things like that for, to support families, and it just benevolence, things like that, but, but the rich were coming, and they were dropping in just tons and tons of money, and then out of the corner of his eye, Jesus spots this elderly woman. She's a widow. She's probably dressed in uh, shabby clothing, and she comes up and she drops two uh, copper coins, coins that are worth less than a penny, two mites, and she drops them in there, and she walks in, and Jesus calls his disciples who also saw this, and they're probably just, you know, just amazed and awe of, of, the, of the wealth that has just been thrown in there, and they're probably overlooking this, the two mites of this widow, and, and Jesus pauses and he brings them in and he says, I want to teach you something. You see, all of the wealth that came in from the wealthy, that, that's great. They're, they're doing what God has called them to do, but, but this woman gave the most. Why? Because she gave of her lack. She gave all that she had and trusted it to the care of God. If there was anybody that should have said, hold up, I, I need to feed myself. I need to take care of myself. I don't have enough. I need to hold back. Surely God doesn't care if I hold this back. He wouldn't ask this of me. It should have been her. And yet because she gave, what was that saying? In her heart, it was saying this, in her heart, she trusted that God would have provided for her. So who gets to decide how much is enough? Is it you or or is it God? Why does he do that? Because he wants us to trust him. Look what he says in Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. You know, in college, I had a coach who would say this, I want you to practice how you plan to play, but don't expect to come to practice and take it easy because that's how you're gonna play on the court. You know what he was teaching us? He was teaching us a lesson on faithfulness. You know, you may be someone who says, you know what, I'll work hard when I get that job, but where I find myself now, it's, it's, it's not where I'm gonna stay, so I'm gonna take it. 
I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna coast. Listen, God is concerned with us taking every instance, every job, everything we set our mind to, every dime in our possession to be faithful with it. And you know what? The reason why I would use that logic, that argument, I'll start giving when I make enough. You know what I was doing? I was just delaying obedience. And you know what delayed obedience is? It's disobedience. It's disobedience. Let's just be honest. Let's just cut it the way it needs to be cut. It's disobedience. And God's desire is not for us to be disobedient. He wants our first fruits, friends. Right? I, and, I, and I'm just gonna be honest. I have been guilty of those times where, um, you know, Kate and I have been tithing since we were both tithing even before we got married and we came together and we said we're still gonna continue to tithe. But there have been moments where it's been easy to, to just give the Lord whatever came at the end of the month and tithing became just something we did. It became almost religious. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that was uh, something that we were focusing on on our heart and, and it just became something we did because we knew we had to. And, and I just felt like in that moment, the Lord was like, am I getting your first fruits or am I getting what's at the bottom of the barrel? What does he mean by the first fruits? Well, look what he says in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. Solomon is speaking and he says, this honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. The first fruits of all your crops. Give him, give him what's first. Let him be the top priority. Don't give him your sloppy seconds or whatever comes at the end if there's enough there, but, but entrust to his care the first fruits of all your crops. And he gives us a promise. He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. I don't got a barn, but I got a garage and I got a bank account, right? He says, then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The Lord is saying that if we trust him with our first fruits, we will not go without. He will provide and meet every need. And you know what? He has done that. And I'm not saying that we just, just I'm, not, I'm not trying to preach a prosperity message where if you give, then God's just gonna give you back. No, no, you know what he gives? He doesn't just give, uh, you might get material wealth, but you know what he gives? He gives you peace of mind. In fact, I had a couple that I've been talking to and they, they, they started tithing. They started the practice of tithing and they never did it before, or at least faithfully. And that now they started faithfully tithing and they came to me and said this, you know what? We didn't notice a great surplus at the end of the month, but you know what did happen? I'm no longer concerned. I'm no longer stingy. I'm no longer someone who's always worried about whether or not there's gonna be enough. I just trust God and he has become my peace. So the blessed life isn't just an overflow of of money and resources. It's an overflow of peace. It's an overflow of the Lord's provision of, of, of just believing and trusting in him. And you know what? Example after example after example, we've seen people who just trust God and God shows up. And we could take a survey in here and ask you, uh, how was it before you started living uh, tithing and generously and, and how is it now? And, and there is a vast difference. There is greater joy in generosity than there ever has been in this idea of, of holding on to yourself, to, to fight for yourself, to protect yourself. You know, as I was studying for this, I, I, I came to this stat I just want to share with you. It says this, on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income, which, by the way, a tithe, I just want to be clear, a tithe means a tenth, right? Uh, it says, so on average today, Christians give, actually, this was as of 2015, on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income, which is down from the 3.3% from the Great Depression, the Great Depression is, is the lowest our economy has ever fallen. 
It was the weakest the economy has ever been. And even back then, the Christians in, in, in back then gave 3.3% of their income. And yet, in one of the greatest sur- surpluses, one of the greatest times of, of our economic strength here, we are still only at 2.5%. When is enough enough? When should we be obedient? Friends, I believe that the answer would be now. And you know what would be great? As if in doing so, you know, as families or as a couple, or uh, that you would even make this a family thing where you teach your children generosity. Like, don't, don't leave it up just for, for, for uh, Ms. Brooke in the back to teach your kids what it means to give to missions. Like, that should be a family thing where you draw, or you get everybody together in the house and you say, hey, we're about to pay our tithe, or hey, we're about to, to give to this missions, or hey, we're about to do this. Let's just, let's just pray over this as a family. Let's, let's dedicate this to God. You know what's gonna happen, a result of that, of doing that with your children? The Lord will use your example to encourage them to do something powerful in the future themselves. So man, being people who steward our children, who teach them, train them, as a couple doing this together, if there is somebody in your house, like maybe a husband and wife, or, or maybe the wife is the one who is the, the, the one who, who manages the, the finances, uh, man, I think that should be something where you guys both together say, you know what, we are allocating this to the Lord. We are tithing. Even if, you, if you're not someone who, who prays over uh, an envelope, like you bring it to church, but maybe you do online giving, even before you click that submit button, just praying over that together, God desires us to give him our first fruits. And I promise you, if you are faithful with that, if you are faithful with the little, you will be faithful with much. The fourth money misconception, and this is one that I definitely, definitely used to use all the time. It's this. Ready? I can tithe in other ways, right? I used to say, I can tithe in other ways. Like, like it's not like if, if God is concerned with the tithe, he's concerned with, with the 10% in other ways. I, I can tithe my time. I'll just go to the church, and this is literally what I would use. I'd go to the church, and, and, I'll, and I'll just like move chairs. Like, like I just ask the pastor, pastor, can I, can I do this? Can I just move chairs? Can I, can I do that? Can I do this? And, and I would do it, but you know what? Uh, the Lord doesn't ask for a tithe of our time. It's generous, it's great, but, but I was using that as a means to avoid an actual tithe, a tithe of finances. We are essentially saying when we do that, God, you can have this area of my life and this area of my life, but my money is mine. That's mine. And Jesus doesn't say to give a tithe of our time. He says to, to give a tithe of our wealth to give a tithe of our resources. Um, another thing I used to say is I can give to other charities and other organizations, right? Like, like it, it's not necessarily just to the church. I can, get, I can give to a missionary, and, and I'm not gonna say what you can and can't do with your tithe. I, I don't wanna say this, but, but I wanna simply ask you this. If that is your argument, if that is your reasoning, why is that? Why is that? Is it because you still want to manage and dictate where your tithe is going, if that's the case, then who's truly in control of that? Is it, is it you or is it God? Every time I see the early church talk about finances and generosity, in the book of Acts especially, it says that they would frequently sell off parcels of land and bring the money and place it at the apostles' feet. Were they giving it to the apostles so that the apostles can get rich? No. What were they doing? They were simply saying, we are submitting ourselves to this body. We are submitting ourselves to the leadership that the Lord has placed over us and entrusting to your care how to manage this, 
how to ensure that we as a community can bless this community. Couldn't the, those individuals that were selling things just go straight to that person and give it to them? Yeah, they could have. But I believe that there is something powerful when we submit to the Lord and just say, God, I'm, I'm entrusting to your care. And, and, and I told you, I'm one who tithes. I, I don't even tithe uh, to this church. I, I tithe to, the, to the, what's, what's ahead, ahead of me, the, uh, the district. Douglas LeBlanc said this, a book called Tithing, test me in this. He says, how I donate my money expresses power. If I carve my tithe into slices of my own liking, I tighten my grip on power and money tightens its grip on me. I am better aware of the ever-deepening joy found in God's generosity when I surrender control of the first 10% to the community that welcomes me, a wretched sinner week after week and challenges me to become something more. I want to illustrate it this way. I told you earlier about um, Aubrey and, and, and our new baby girl who we are so close to adopting. It's going to be awesome. Um, but we, uh, you know, one thing that my wife says is, is that um, the, the romance gene, like I'm the, I'm the least romantic Mexican that she's ever met. And uh, it's true. It's true. Uh, that's one area that I, that I need to grow in. And, and my wife has, has always said, she's like, man, it just, you can dance, but that's about it. Like, you can cook, that's about it. But, but you are not, you're not the most, you're the least romantic Mexican I've ever met. I'm like, Katie, how many Mexicans have you ever met, okay? Like, let's just, let's just be honest here. And uh, she, she just jokes around with me. So, so there are times where, like, I have to be intentional. Uh, sometimes I'm too pragmatic and too um, logical. And, and sometimes I just got to intentionally take steps to just be romantic and show my wife the, the way that she needs to be shown that, that she is loved. So, so this past Valentine's, I'm like, this is a perfect, this is a perfect time. This Valentine's Day, I, I'm gonna just, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock the socks off my wife. She's gonna be so impressed and she's gonna see this romantic side of me. So at 11 o'clock on Valentine's Eve, right, I, I, uh, everyone's in bed, the kids have been long asleep, my wife is in bed and I'm still up doing things and uh, I'm like, I'm gonna sneak out the house, I'm gonna run to Dylan's, and I'm gonna take care of everything now and wake her up in the morning with an incredible surprise. So I literally hop in the car and I'm like super sneaky. Like I, I don't turn the car on, I just put it in neutral and I let it roll back out of the driveway so she doesn't catch me, right? Um, I even left the TV on and I had it extra loud so she would think that I was watching. Like I was super sneaky like this entire time and I turned the car on and I'm at the end of the driveway and I'm driving to Dylan's and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm picking out flowers and I'm picking out the perfect card. I spent so much time just reading cards and like which one's the right one, which one's the right one and, and, I, and I buy cho- her favorite chocolate and I, and I get everything together and then I'm about to pay out, check out and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have a daughter now. I got to get her something too. And uh, it just as I was getting, I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, she's probably never had a, a, a dad. I'm, she's, I, I'm the first male father figure in her life. And I'm probably the first one to actually buy her a, a Valentine's gift. So I'm like, like there at Dylan's, like trying to keep it together. Like, oh, this is so beautiful. It's her first Valentine's Day. And I'm picking out a teddy bear. And I got her, she loves like Hot Wheel cars, but they have to be pink. So I got her a Hot Wheel car and I got her a teddy bear. I got her some chocolate and I got some Swedish fish. Cause that's her like favorite candy right now. And, and, and I'm like, oh my goodness. But if I do this for her, the boys are gonna wake up and be like, what the heck, dad? Like, why didn't you get us anything? They're gonna get complexes. It's gonna be my fault. So because that one Valentine's Day, I got everybody something but them. So I'm like, I gotta go back and get them something. Fifty dollars later, I got something for everybody, right? And I'm just like, this is why I'm not romantic, right? But I, I got something for everybody, and I, and I, and I pieced it. I, I put it all together perfectly. Katie never found out. Like, she, she, never, she never knew that I was gone. I'm putting everything together, and I realized I never bought a vase. 
because I thought I had like six of them from the last times I bought flowers for Katie. And um, I realized also that she started watching this Marie Kondo girl on Netflix. So she's throwing everything out. All I have is like a pair of underwear and like, that's it. <laughs> like, like nothing, right? So, so she's throwing everything out. She's minimalizing, going like crazy. She threw away all the vases. She's like, my husband's not romantic. I don't eat these. Um, so <laughs> so I, I found this, this utensil jar. I took all the utensils out, and I, it wasn't made for flowers. It's not a vase, right? Uh, and, I, and I put water in there. I put the flowers in there. Everything is perfect. And I'm like, oh, it's a little off-centered. So I, I move it, and it shatters. And just water is everywhere. Like, it, my, my whole setup is ruined. And Katie comes out like, what's going on? I'm like, go to bed. You're ruining my romance, right? Like, you're ruining this moment. And she goes back to bed, and she already knows what's going on. And I put it all together anyway. The morning comes, and... Uh, I'm just super excited about the kids waking up and Aubrey waking up and, and seeing her first Valentine's gift. And I'm like, I'm like uh, she's like, what is this? Is it my birthday? I'm like, no, it's not your birthday. It's, it's Valentine's Day. And this is a way that we just, we just say we, we love each other. And, 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 dad, and dad, I got you something and got everybody something. I got you a car. And she's like, it's pink. And she's, she loves it, right? And, and she's like, take this sticker off, off, off the, the ear of, of, of the unicorn. And I took him off and I gave him to her and she's hugging it. I love it, I love it. And she's got the, the chocolate and she loves it. And, and I pick her up and I'm holding her and, and uh, she's like, can I have one? I'm like, you can, you can have um, a Swedish fish, right? I bought a whole pack of them, like those mini ones, ones that you'd pass out to your class. And I only needed four. I needed one for three, one for each kid. So I had a whole pack stored up in the, in the counter of, uh, in the kitchen. And I gave her one and, and she opens it up and, and I see her eating one. And, and I looked to her and I'm like, Aubrey, can, can I have one? And she's a smart girl. Right? She's a very smart kid. and She looks inside of her wrapper and she's like, I got about eight of these. And I got one in my hand. And she takes a bite of one and gives it to me. Because <laughs> she's a smart kid. <laughs> and, and in that moment, like, I, I wasn't thinking anything of it. I was like, th- thanks, Aubrey. And then I was like, I would have I really liked my own. And then Aubrey goes in there and she grabs two and shoves them in my mouth. Here's the thing, I don't eat Swedish fish. I had a whole bag. I don't eat my daughter's Swedish fish. What did I want in that moment? I wanted her heart, out of her own heart to give me what I gave her to begin with. Listen, when, when we talk about finances and wealth and tithing in the church and, and all these misconceptions, I, I want us to come to, to, to one understanding and it's this. God doesn't need your wealth. He wants your heart. He wants your trust. And he wants to bless you. Listen, God has a whole bag of Swedish fish. He doesn't need your, your, your 10%. But it's an issue of your heart. And listen, we're about to get into this series. Next couple of weeks, come to that. We're going to listen to some incredible, powerful teaching deeper than than we even have time to get into our own this week. This is just a primer for what we're about to talk about. But I want us to start with this realization. If we can just all stand in this room. God wants our heart. And maybe you are someone who, you, you have been tithing. But can we just take a moment this morning and just ask the Lord, like, God, Where's my heart in all of this? Have I been doing this out of just something that I religiously do? Or do I give you my first fruit and do I just say, God, it's, 
it's all yours. This is a sign of my trust, a sign of my obedience. Maybe you're, you're someone who's never tried to tithe. Maybe you're someone who, just like me, said, when I have enough, that's, that's when I'll start. Or, or maybe you're like, I, I can't afford to tithe. Listen, friend, you can't afford not to. God wants to bless you. God wants to take care of you and prove to you that he can do more with that 10% that you give him that you can do with the 100% that you try to hold on to. He wants our heart, friends. That's where it starts from. And that's where it ends. Can we just take a moment and just consider that, that the same God of the universe who asks us to be faithful stewards of our finances, to be faithful managers of every resource he's given us, that when he asks back for that that tie, that 10%, that he himself has also already given not just 10% of himself to us, but he's given us 100% of his son, Jesus. He never held anything back. And now in return, he just asks for our heart. He asks us to be faithful. Friends, money is a spiritual issue. The frequency in which we see it in the word of God proves it. Friends, the church doesn't just want your money. It wants your heart. It wants to point you to Jesus. It wants to help you along the process of trusting the Lord more and more. God, if there's anybody in this place that is struggling with this situation, Lord, I pray that we would not feel like you're beating us up. That is not your heart. That is not our God. That is not our Father. Yes, you point us to truth, but you lead us to truth. So, Father, in this moment, if there's any of us who've been a little unfaithful, may we consider our heart. May we recognize that you've given us everything. We love you, Jesus. We ask all of this in your name that this week, that this month, as we jump into this topic, would be a month of encouragement, a month of growth, a month of trust like never before, that you, Jesus, would sit on the throne of our lives, that we won't compartmentalize and say, God, you can be the Lord of my words, the Lord of my thoughts, the Lord of my actions, but not my finances. I'll control that. May we make you treasurer and CEO of every aspect of our lives. May you be Lord and master. Help us, God. And Father, I pray that anybody who is making this decision to give their heart over to you, that they would be blessed, not just financially or prosperously, but but in every sense of the term, blessed, God. May you give them joy and peace and patience and understanding, God. May they experience a surplus of you that has never been there before. 
because they are opening themselves up like never before. We give you our heart. We trust our finances. That's yours anyway to you, God. And we ask that you would bless us as we walk in obedience and generosity. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Friends, God bless you. I promise you, you will not want to miss out this series. Come out next week. God is going to be speaking to many of us. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Take care.